This is The Guardian. Today is an uprising by Europe's farmers, planting the seeds for the far right. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. For many years now, Europe has had some of the boldest plans in the world for addressing global heating. And EU leaders have said, even though making a transition of this size and speed is vital, it's not going to be easy. People will have to make sacrifices. And now some of those people are pushing back. The heart of Brussels turned into a battleground. On one side, farmers and protesters here to demand change. On the other, riot police. The sky full of acrid smoke from... Over the past few weeks, tens of thousands of farmers have poured into European cities, bringing some to a standstill. They've blocked access roads onto highways. They've dumped manure and rubble. They, they've hurled eggs. They've gone into supermarket and sort of trashed foreign products in supermarkets. They've set fire to hay bales and wooden pallets. And generally, yeah, caused quite a bit of chaos. All of this is a lesson in how difficult it's going to be to get the green transition right when European economies are already dealing with the war in Ukraine and a cost-of-living crisis. But these protests are also a warning that if you get this transition wrong, fail to do it fairly, the risk isn't just that your climate becomes more extreme, it's that your country's politics goes that way too. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus... A farmers' revolt across Europe. John Henley, you're The Guardian's Europe correspondent, and you've been out on the streets of Paris to see these protests yourself. What is the vibe out there? How angry are people? They are very angry. They're very angry and very upset. They feel that they're being unfairly treated. They feel misunderstood. They feel misunderstood by governments and officials in Brussels. They feel misunderstood by the sort of the general public, which is only really interested in uh, making sure that it has its food, preferably cheap, and doesn't really know or care that much about, about where it comes from. And particularly, they feel recently misunderstood by environmental campaigners. Fire and fury from European farmers. No sign yet of an end to their anger towards their respective governments and the European Union. Across the continent, from Slovakia to Spain, there is deep unhappiness with rising costs. So, John, what is the source of all this frustration and anger? What set all this off? I mean, there's a whole raft of different reasons. Some of them are very kind of specific to particular countries. But there are also kind of pan-European 
issues that are really uniting all these farmers and making sure that this is a kind of a continental movement. The first is that product prices are falling. Farm gate prices, so the prices that the farmers are actually getting for their products, have fallen by about 9%. At the same time as prices are falling, farmers' costs are rising. Now, that's largely kind of an after effect of Russia's war on Ukraine, which, as we all know, we've all experienced has increased energy prices, transport prices, um, also fertilizer prices for farmers have, have, have shot up. So, so their margins are really being squeezed. We've seen farmers here from Italy, from Belgium and from France. People are carrying signs saying if you don't feed your farmers, you won't have anything to eat. There's this perennial problem of kind of overpowerful retailers, so mainly the large supermarkets who are really squeezing prices as hard as they can. There's a, another bone of contention is cheap foreign imports that are coming in, particularly grain from Ukraine. The EU lifted kind of quotas and duties on Ukrainian grain when the war started, um, and that led to a kind of a flood of cheap agricultural products coming into the EU uh, from Ukraine, which particularly upset farmers in Central and Eastern Europe. Polish farmers were protesting as early as September, October last year. Like this Bulgarian cereal farmer, Many farmers in Eastern Europe have delayed selling their production while waiting for prices to rise. But with the approach of the harvest, time is running out. They have been demonstrating for several weeks to demand more control over Ukrainian grain exports, considered responsible for the fall in prices. Okay, so that's a lot of issues, some of them national, some of them continental. But a lot of this anger on the streets of Paris and Madrid and Warsaw is really being directed at one place, which is Brussels, the seat of the EU. Why is that? The target of the EU is a particularly easy target for the farmers. And what they really resent is the Green Deal, the European Green Deal, which includes a whole sort of raft of measures that will affect farming. It basically aims to achieve climate neutrality across Europe by 2050, but it just looks like a bridge too far for many farmers. The targets are like they want to halve the use of pesticides, for example, by 2030 to radically reduce the use of fertilizers. One of the requirements will be that farmers have to set aside a lot more land by leaving it fallow, for example, to encourage and promote more biodiversity. They want organic food production to double over the next few years to something like 25% of, of all available EU farmland. And the farmers basically say that, you know, coming on top of all these problems, these sort of longer term problems, it's just impossible. Um, it's unrealistic. It's economically unviable. And it's just another sign that they're not being understood. They haven't been consulted. And it, it's just not going to be possible for them to do. Mm. So. These protests have left Brussels reeling. They've left a lot of European capitals reeling. What was the response from EU leaders initially when these protests broke out? I guess, to their credit, the Commission started making concessions really quite fast. So in the past few weeks, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, shelved this plan to cut pesticide use. She said it had become a a symbol of of polarisation. But the sewer proposal has become a symbol of polarisation. It has been rejected by the European Parliament. 
The Commission has also unveiled a kind of emergency break on the most sensitive products coming in from Ukraine. They've delayed that project to set aside more land for kind of non-agricultural purposes. So that's been postponed. And I think very tellingly, just a, sort of a few days ago, when the Commission unveiled its latest set of targets for CO2 emissions and how much they were going to have to be cut by 2050, they essentially left farming out of that completely. So that is the EU's response. What about national governments? How are they reacting? Uh, So Berlin, you know, watered down its plans to cut its diesel subsidies. Georgia Maloney in Italy agreed to sort of at least partially reinstate that tax exemption. Paris has just thrown money at the whole problem, 400 million euros and 200 million more in kind of emergency short-term cash. And I think also quite significantly, the French government said the promise that it would stop imposing stricter rules on French farmers than than the EU demanded. I mean, it's extraordinary, this scale of backpedalling that you've explained to us. I, I had no idea farmers had that much power, and we'll get into why. But the first thing I want to know is, what have the farmers said in response? Are they choosing to back down themselves to end these protests in the face of all these concessions they're getting from national governments and the EU? Well, they're continuing in some parts of of Europe. Last week, Italy and and Spain, they were continuing. They're also continuing in Poland and in Greece. So the sort of focus has shifted a little bit to southern Europe and concessions are being made there too. But they're on pause in France and in Germany. Farmers there have made it very clear that it really is a pause and not a halt. Coming up, how to turn Europe's economies green without delivering voters to the far right. What do you do when you realise the technology you've been working on for decades, it's dangerous and it might be too late to stop it? That's when I got really scared about the existential threat. Listen to Black Box, a new podcast series from The Guardian. Seven stories about AI and us. Coming soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. This is an interesting story because it takes in so many of the other things happening in the world, the cost of living crisis, the climate crisis, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But there's one other trend that's really key to what's happening here, and that's the rise of the far right in Europe. Tell me how that fits in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's absolutely crucial. And I think that is one of the key reasons why European authorities, both in Brussels and in national governments, have conceded so quickly in the face of these farmers' protests. It's because of the potential of their politicization, if you like, which is already, in fact, really happening. There are a bunch of national elections coming up in Europe this year, in some of which the far right is expected to do very well, for example, in Austria and in Belgium. But we also have European Parliament elections in June, And those elections, all the polling suggests that the far-right parties across Europe are going to do very well. And they have been very, very swift to embrace the farmers' protests. And it's actually very clear why, I think. Because the farmers' protests, they really bring together at least three key sort of issues on which the far-right fight their battles. The first of those, obviously, is Europe, which the far-right like to present, if not as a dictatorship, at least as a kind of, you know, out-of-touch authoritarian regime that is imposing rules on unwilling nation-states. So that's the first thing. The second thing, it really plays into the sort of the populist rhetoric of a kind of urban and international elite oppressing the kind of hardworking, ordinary rural folk. And finally, you know, the far right has made one of its hobby horses in recent years very clearly the climate crisis and kind of the sacrifices that are going to need to be made by people to combat the climate crisis. And so do the farmers recognise what the far right is doing here is jumping on the bandwagon? Or are they accepting this embrace? How deep are the links between these movements we see on the streets and the far right? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, most farmers reject any far-right connection and resent the fact that they're being used as a political vehicle. But that said, this movement has spawned some new political parties, one in particular in the Netherlands, this farmer-citizen movement, and it kind of hoovered up a real kind of groundswell of rural resentment and did spectacularly well in provincial elections in, in the Netherlands last year. Unbridled joy for Caroline van der Plas as her party shook up the Dutch political landscape on Wednesday evening. Founded just four years ago, 
The BBB is now projected to be the largest party in the Senate. This could mean we will be the biggest party in the Netherlands. This isn't normal. What you've told us so far is that EU leaders have responded to this this complex threat, these things that are driving farmers onto the streets, by essentially giving in, conceding ground on a lot of the things the farmers want. Is anyone suggesting a kind of more holistic solution, something that takes into account what farmers are so concerned about, but also the imperative to do something about a climate that is increasingly inhospitable? Yeah, I mean, the EU isn't particularly brilliant at holistic approaches, mainly because what people very often forget is that it is made up of 27 national governments. And those 27 national governments have their own concerns and their own imperatives. And for example, in countries where uh, political leaders are under pressure or where there are elections in the near future, then, you know, sort of the longer term holistic vision is quite likely to take a backseat to short-term political imperatives. Emmanuel Macron in France is, is under enormous pressure at the moment from, from the far right. There's no imminent elections coming, but he badly needs to sort of rebuild his support in the run-up to the next elections in three years' time, and he's going to find it more difficult to fight battles that will, in the short term at least, really dent his political support. That's interesting because for many years, Europe has prided itself on being a leader in fighting the climate crisis. And you've just told us that they are pushing this green deal that would you know, transform Europe's emissions. But from everything you've told me, it suggests that it may not be that simple, that we're going to see resistance to this green agenda in places we expect and places that we don't. I think you're absolutely right. And I think this is kind of like really an acid test for the Green Deal and for the the climate agenda. The climate agenda and the measures that are going to have to be taken, I don't think have been fully understood and certainly not been fully accepted by the people who are going to have to adopt those measures and the people who those measures will affect namely us, ordinary citizens, but also professional and industry groups such as the farmers who are suddenly really finding themselves confronted with demands that may be absolutely necessary, but unless they are presented clearly enough and understandably enough, unless they are accompanied by you know, sufficient kind of compensation and alternatives and are clearly not going to go down well, that's another aspect, I guess, of why this is an electoral issue, is the far-right parties across Europe that are increasingly either in government or propping up centre-right governments and are going to be more powerful in this upcoming European Parliament than they are in the current Parliament. And they are, you know, largely, if not anti-climate agenda, in the sense that they want to scrap it entirely, they at least really want to slow it down. The Rassemblement National in France has gone has gone further and said it expects the Green Deal to be completely scrapped. And I think that's a real danger, you know, that if these changes, which are obviously urgently necessary, if we don't manage to push them through because they are being blocked politically, then clearly we're not going to be in very good shape for the future. Yeah, because there's another force 
here that you can't really negotiate with, which is the climate itself. And we've just seen in the past year across Europe, flash floods, wildfires, extreme heat. Doesn't that affect so many of the same farmers who are on the streets calling for a slowing of of measures to address global heating? Of course it does. That's one of the key demands of farmers who are protesting in Greece and in Spain, that they haven't, for example, yet been compensated adequately, they say, by their governments for the huge loss of crops that they suffered, particularly in Greece last year. Mega wildfires and a record-breaking heatwave in, in Greece last year that reduced the grain crop by a staggering amount. Uh, I mean, I've read estimates of sort of up to 20% in some areas. So clearly farmers are aware that the climate crisis is impacting them. But at the same time, they are faced with these other problems that we've discussed. This, you know, falling product prices, rising costs, cheaper foreign imports, all this sort of stuff, which they say quite simply mean that if the measures needed to combat the climate crisis are introduced without consultation, without compensation, without alternatives, they are simply going to go bust. They can't afford to put those measures into place. Mm. I mean, this is such a tough balance for European leaders because it seems to me, on the one hand, they if they don't get the balance right, they do damage to the planet, damage to Europe's climate as well as the world's. And on the other hand, the risk is if they bungle this up, this movement, this anger and these votes might be swept up by the far right. It's a really difficult riddle to to solve. And how Europe's politicians do address this issue and whether or not they're able to resolve it is going to be absolutely critical for all our futures. I mean, I just come back, I think, to this sort of essential point, which is that the scale of the transformation of everybody's lives that is going to be necessary in order to combat the climate crisis has not yet been fully grasped. And politicians are going to have to play an absolutely crucial role in explaining, in persuading, in convincing. And, you know, given the fact that we know from opinion polls that the level of trust in politicians in Europe certainly is pretty much at an all-time low... It's not looking great. John, thank you very much. Thank you. And that was John Henley, The Guardian's Europe correspondent, whose coverage of the continent can be found at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back with you tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.